Welcome to Utopian Horizons. Hello and welcome to episode 15 of Utopian Horizons, a podcast about utopias real and imaginary. Interspersed with my normal interview episodes, I've been doing these solo episodes where I work my way through the novels of Philip K. Dick. This is one of those episodes and it is about the novel Martian Time Slip. Before we go on to that book, something which I can't believe I forgot to do in the last episode was talk about Ursula Le Guin, who you may be aware passed away recently. I just wanted to talk a little bit about her because I think she's such an incredible writer and thinker when it comes to the subject of utopia someone who wrote about the subject in non-fiction and also very explicitly explored that subject in her fiction. I must say I haven't actually read a great number of her novels, so that's something that I'll need to remedy. But um, there will be an episode coming up on The Dispossessed. That's something that I've had planned for a while. I've got a guest for it, but um, it's just um, something that's going to happen later this year. I'm not quite sure when yet, but that is coming. But yeah, she's just there's, there's so many great quotes from Ursula Le Guin about utopia, which I've got a couple here, of course. So she said, The exercise of imagination is dangerous to those who profit from the way things are because it has the power to show that the way things are is not permanent, not universal, not necessary which is something which I think is very relevant to a lot of things we've been talking about in this podcast, particularly in in terms of the the power of fiction, utopian fiction and what that can do. Another one of her great quotes, we live in capitalism. Its power seems inescapable. So do the divine right of kings. Any human power can be resisted and changed by human beings. That's something we've talked about a lot in the podcast as well, this inability to think outside the the terms of the system that we're in, the difficulty of, of doing that, our inability to kind of see the contingencies of the contingencies that led us to to the place that we're at and um, reminding us that those things are contingent and that, that those things can be changed. So anyway, yeah, I just wanted to touch briefly on Ashley Gwyn because she was such a great utopian, such a great writer, and I'd highly recommend you have a look at some of her novels if you are not familiar with her. Another thing I quickly wanted to touch on, I briefly mentioned before, um, I'm not sure when, a few episodes ago maybe, that I was thinking about maybe it'd be cool to get up a website and have a forum on there or something so people could come and talk about um, utopia and talk about ideas for episodes and stuff like that troy very kindly sent me an email with um lots of helpful feedback and mentioned that it might be a good idea to do like a slack or a discord instead which i think is quite a good idea i don't know it might be fun so i just want to say if you think they're getting in on a discord or slack to talk with me and other people about utopia and stuff like that would be fun then um let me know if you think it's a good idea and then i'll do it also, I haven't really used either Discord or Slack, so I don't really know much about them. So I don't really have an idea of which one would be better for this purpose. So if you have an opinion on that, which one you would prefer, then again, that would be helpful to know. Yeah, so on to Martian Time Slip. Martian Time Slip was published in 1964. There were two other novels published that year by Philip K. Dick, The Simulacra and Clans of the Alphane Moon. So obviously they will be um, coming next in terms of Philip K. Dick's episodes. And again, shows you how prolific he was. Looking at this, I think I saw that he wrote like four or five novels in one year around this time. So just insanely unproductive. So anyway, the book takes place in a colony on Mars. 
the protagonist is a repairman called Jack Bolan who has suffered with schizophrenia in the past. He is free of that at, at the moment when we start the novel. He becomes involved with Arnie Cott, who's a mafia-like union leader. Perhaps a more reactionary depiction of the institution of the union than you might expect from Philip K. Dick, but there we go. And it kind of revolves around this guy's plot to use an autistic boy called Manfred's possible ability to see the future. The theory within the book being that autistic people experience time differently and therefore this child may be able to see the future. I've picked out just a few things about the book that I think are interesting to talk about and hopefully that means I can keep this one shorter than the last one which perhaps um, the last Philip K. Dick episode which perhaps went on for too long but we'll see. So the first thing I want to touch on was the colony which is something we also talked about in Man on the High Castle but in this case I'm talking about it in a completely different way. I'm talking about it in terms of the idea of establishing utopia somewhere else. So in the past... If you think about the original utopia, Thomas More's utopia, this would usually be an island. Think of also like Aldous Huxley's novel, Island. It's somewhere isolated and undiscovered where you can establish utopia. In the era of sci-fi, that's typically another planet or a, a moon or whatever. Now, one thing this can do, this can perform the function of us allowing to experiment with different ideas, unencumbered by the system that we live in, the way that works. But it doesn't necessarily mean it's disconnected from that system. And indeed, I think if it's properly a utopia, it will inherently be linked to that system. It will be a way of thinking about the problems of that system, a way of critiquing it, a way of providing possible solutions. However, it, I think, can also be a kind of escape so this idea that we can escape from our problems and create an isolated utopia, find somewhere perfect to escape to. And you find that in the idea of space colonisation, the idea that Earth is screwed, basically, so we have to begin somewhere else, the kind of defeatist way of thinking. I also see it as kind of tied up with this idea of like technological solutions to climate change, the idea that we can just keep going as we are and science will somehow solve the problem by geoengineering putting iron filings in the sea or, or something like that and we can just um you know keep going as we are we don't have to actually have to do anything and, and science will solve our problems for us i see it's kind of um tied up in a way i'll return to that in a minute but um i think there's probably an element of that escapism in golden age science fiction which admittedly i'm not particularly knowledgeable about so that may be unfair but anyway this adventurous genre of fiction this idea of, of visiting wondrous places that kind of escapes from our world and the problems that we we have to face now philip k dick's space colonies in this book and in general if you think of something like the three stigmata of palmer eldridge which we will get to in a future episode they do not do that the colony is not an escape so mars here in martian time slip is unpleasant it's a harsh difficult place to live when Jack's wife looks out the window at the near the beginning of the novel. She talks about the the harsh lights. She talks about using her. She talks about using her good earth made coffee pots, implying that the standard of stuff on Mars is, is not as good. The water is described as unpleasant and tainted. The air is cold and choked with fine sand. The most difficult thing about this um, off world colony is the scarcity of water. So. Again, early in the book, Sylvia's talking about how they've waited 11 days for their share of water from the Great Ditch. And the na her neighbours, the Steiners, come out begging not to have the water turned off. 
and she says that each drop of water dominates the life. And there's this idea everyone's reduced to pettiness, bickering, tension. Something that Philip K. Dick's quite good at, I think, representing how the pressure of the system like, emerges in these like, petty aggressions. So Mars itself as a whole is described as an almost fertile spider web of spider web of lines. The Senator Taft River is a sluggish and repellent green. It mentions that there are Jersey cows there that have been bent into something resembling their ancestors by the unjust environment. So Philip K. Dick, I think, is sceptical of the idea of space colonisation, this idea of escaping Earth. And we should say within the, the novel, Earth is not perfect either. There's, they've got a big problem with uh, educated workforce, there's no jobs, pollution, and so on. Um, so yeah, not so different today. So I suppose you can read that as somewhat negative or cynical, nihilistic even, or even as an insistence that we have to confront the problems, we cannot escape them. And indeed, within the, the book, the, the UN depicts as a very powerful organisation, uh, as this kind of, I suppose it serves as like, um, serves as an avatar for Earth's power within the book. And it's made quite clear enough, I think, that Earth has a power to shape the colony. That's something that repeated. People in this colony do have a lot of autonomy and power, but there's an idea that they only have it insofar as the Earth doesn't care about them. As soon as they want something changed and want to exercise some power, then the, the power of the colonists themselves will dissipate quite quickly. Also, in some ways, the colony reproduces the, the problems of Earth. So there's um, an alien race that lives on Mars called the Bleakmen, who are referred to by the n-word so this is a kind of a, a slave class they had built the great canals that formerly formerly lay on mars and have now gone into ruin it's not really explained why they no longer maintain those or what happened to their civilization but um so yeah the inequality has been replicated racism has been replicated so again yeah there's this idea that you can't just escape your your problems these problems are replicated here in the colony um arnie cott as the union of the as the head of the plumbers union has a racket which gives him the power to make it a, a utopia for himself in some regard like he has these steam baths and they do not collect the runoff water which is like a gesture of decadence like to kind of show his power um so yeah inequalities inequalities reproduce and it's a utopia for some and not for others as we've as with on Earth and, and any other place. So I do think this idea of science as a kind of guarantor of, of some future utopia or as a means of, of escaping our problems is something that does need cutting down. Like I think when you think about Elon Musk talking about colonising Mars or something, and you think about, I think in a sense that does perform a function which the colony is performing in, in this book, which is it's a, a symbol in some sense, it's a guarantor of a possibility of escape or a possibility of, of a future exists it exists in the colony it's performing a kind of pacifying function back on earth so for example there is a camp there called camp bg a camp for anomalous children is the phrase it used so these are people who've got some kind of um, mental problems or um, mutations, um, physical disabilities, things like that. And they talk about them being like a defective stock and they're thinking about closing the camp because, and you can probably imagine what would happen to the residents because there's an explosion of uh, mental illness on earth and they like to present the idea that the colony is 
um, kind of racially pure and doesn't have the the same problems that exist on Earth. So it performs a kind of symbolic function. So if you're someone who's living on Earth and has to deal with the problems that are there on a daily basis, just the fact that the colony exists as a kind of idea, just because you know it's there, it gives the idea of a possibility of a future, a guarantee of a future, a possibility of escape that may not actually become accessible to you, but it performs a pacifying function in the fact that you you know it's there. And I think that science does that in, in some regards. As I say, when, when I think about Elon Musk colonising Mars and... You know, the, the climate problems we face and the idea that, well, is this idea in your mind that science will find a solution for climate change? Or in a worst case scenario, then we can move on to another planet. So we don't really have to deal with with uh, the issues that we have. And indeed, I mean, someone like Elon Musk, I think, has achieved nothing or, or very little, at least. He's someone who, who talks about things. And I think there's somewhat something very sinister when you look at like his comments on public transport. His, you can see his contempt for ordinary people there quite easily uh, contempt I think is quite indicative for a certain type of San Francisco tech person he's someone who clearly doesn't get why public transport works and why it might be desirable um, and yeah indeed like this whole there's loads of these tech companies that want to undermine public transport because it's a new area for them for private revenue it's a new area for profit that's why very rich people continue to invest in uber despite the fact that uber does not make any money it's a loss it's a loss making business it's but it continues to get huge amounts of venture capital because it undermines public transport and that's why people continue to fund it so yes, anyway, this idea of, of science and technology saving us is something that I think needs to be, be cut down. I think that's something there in Martian Times where the colony and the idea of, of space exploration, space colonisation serves as kind of symbol of escape. Um, and more generally, I think it's representative of a kind of more sceptical or critical era of sci-fi that you'd have in, in the 60s and 70s moving out of the wide-eyed optimism of of golden age science fiction so um there's kind of a dystopian move there in some sense i suppose which is is interesting um now i want to move on to talk about the school in martian time slip this is quite an important place in terms of um what it does to jack and it's something that keeps coming coming up in the story so this is the place where jack's son is educated they don't have teachers they have robots there that teach the children the idea is that the machines can cater they're teaching to each pupil because they you know they won't confuse the pupil they'll know what each one responds to that's easy for a computer to record and memorize like the school when jack's at the school he notes how it observe he knows it observes what he's doing when he's there and when he picks up a magazine it knows what magazine he picks up it notes how long he reads it for it's kind of evaluating people and, and what they need these teaching machines are all like historical figures like well not all historical figures but so there's like aristotle teaching machine abraham lincoln kant mark twain there's also a, a janitor he like runs around the corridors waving his fist. He's described as being like an authority figure and his purpose is to teach children to respect property. I mean, you can already sort of see the critique here, this idea that when you work in a system like this, you are in some sense an automaton that's performing a role that system needs to instill in the people that it's managing or producing, in, you might say, in the case of a school. And that's what the janitor the janitor performs this role and that's the role he's expected to to fulfill you've also got figures like kindly dad so yeah you 
you can think of roles in a school and people consciously or not playing these roles like you probably this applies to any organization i think but not just to schools like we all know that there's like a teacher who's seen as a disciplinarian um and the kind teacher and so on which i think that is in some ways obviously just reflective of the fact that people are different but i think people do uh, tend to play these roles you've probably noticed that in different when you've been in different organizations or even just different social situations like sometimes people behave slightly differently like you you're in a certain role in that different um, situation or organization and you're expected to play it in some way yeah so just, as i said it doesn't need to be a school it can be any organization a company and within that when you are playing that role you're in you're in some sense becoming um an automaton like a gear in that system that machine a quick aside it's quite funny the way philip k dick's um these these teaching units all have like gears and stuff in them philip k dick has a very analog uh vision of the future his his idea of like a futuristic computer is always like a huge tower with spools of tape like he's actually quite bad i think at imagining as a futurist but i think as i suggested before futurism is not what's interesting about science fiction his his ideas the interesting thing but yeah it's quite funny how he he sees the future um but anyway so i think what he's doing with the school he's using the school to think about how society reproduces itself like how it reproduces culture how it reproduces ideology how it reproduces the kind of citizens that it needs so jack is when he's thinking about the role of the school so he, he's thinking, well, it's not really to educate, it's to mould. And he says that the school peddled the human or earth culture to the young. He says it irons out their quirks. So obviously the the idea that institutions are there to reproduce culture or, or in some way is nothing new. Um, I mean, I'm not a expert on Foucault, but you might be familiar with Foucault writing about like, prisons, schools, hospitals as being these these kind of sites of discipline that produce a certain kind of, of population. So I think that's the same kind of critique that Philip K. Dick is trying to produce in this novel, um, particularly through the school. So he says that there is a battle in the school between the individual psyches of the children and the composite psyche of the school, which composite psyche of the school we can i think we kind of read as like a as being society or um like hegemonic ideology or something like that it's kind of brought into focus how these institutions perform that role you think of there's a scene with kindly dad who sits in a room with a, a fireplace it's kind of cozy room and of course jack points out that like there's no fireplaces on mars and this idea of his cozy place is completely alien to the children who would have grown up on mars it's a it's an attempt to produce a, a fixed milieu from Earth, is what he says. So I think what this does is, when we see this in the colony, the alien nature of this scenario to the kids who have brought, brought up on Mars, which is a completely different place, it separates this, this kind of normality from it. It brings into focus this, the social reproductive functions of the school. So that's, I think, something that's thinking about what sci-fi can do is, is he... Um, critical dystopian mode i would say is bringing to focus things that might otherwise be invisible because they appear natural when they of course are not natural and this placing like the functioning of the school in an alien context where bits of it therefore um appear alien in this setting you get a new perspective in which to see it's functioning so it's kind of a critical gesture but anyway 
So something else that the novel is quite concerned with is how these systems respond to people that don't fit in, like they don't tend to have flexibility. They have a tendency to force you to operate in the way you the way they want you to, or you will be labelled as some kind of outcast, troublemaker, as ill, as a deviant. So there's a bit where Jack recalls the first schizophrenic episode he had on Earth. It has a recurrence of this when he is at a time when he's visiting the school. I think it's significant that that happens there and he's always deeply uncomfortable there. Again, I think the school here is is kind of an avatar for systems, the idea of a system and what happens when you don't fit in one. So he has this hallucination when he's back on Earth, I'm talking about his his first schizophrenic episode, he has this hallucination of this personnel manager that he meets as as artificial, like the teachers, of course, who are literally artificial. And he says, uh, in the book it says, he saw through the man's skin, his skeleton, it had been wired together, the bones connected with fine copper wire. The organs, which had withered away, were replaced by artificial components, kidney, heart, lungs, everything was made of plastic and stainless steel, all working in unison, but entirely without authentic life. So this personnel manager that he sees in this way, the reason he is called in to see him is because he's not being cashing his checks. He says to him, why aren't you cashing your paychecks? He kind of goes on to say, like, you know, you could stand a new suit and a haircut. So what's interesting is it's not even that he's doing anything wrong, per se. He's doing his job. He's functioning. You might even think that a company would be pleased that he's not cashing his paychecks. But the thing is, he's not behaving as he's supposed to behave. He's not being normal. And that makes them uncomfortable. That is worthy of discipline. And you can quite tell that this, this guy, he is feigning concern about Jack but it's really more an annoyance that he's not being normal so I think you can read this as, as, as a concern about what institutions and society does more broadly and how they how they create norms and the problems that you encounter when you do not follow that norm and and again there's this idea of this guy being inhuman like becoming uh, he says you know um, without authentic life so this guy is is an avatar of, of the system he is enacting the discipline of the system so he is becoming inhuman once you start to perform that role once you start to enforce the standards of the system on its behalf you're kind of becoming inhuman i think that's the idea that it's dealing with here so this all ties into um something else in the book the subject of mental illness and psychiatry uh, i just want to say very quickly something on definitions so i think understanding of what schizophrenia is has changed a lot and philip k dick's use of it is quite loose here and probably doesn't match the current definition also with with manfred this child who is autistic there's kind of a slippage between the idea of being having autism and being psychotic in some way autism is literally described as being psychosis which i mean i'm not an expert but i think that's wrong so just to say that we're working with old or incorrect definitions here but i'm primarily just going to be using the definitions of the novel for ease sake but just to say yeah obviously these are i think problematic the way these these slip between each other but anyway so i feel like i've read books before it'd be great to give you some examples but I, I, this is just kind of a vague recollection i have where psychiatry is part of a utopia or gestured as being something that's important to utopia i feel like freud is something that's mentioned a lot in like 60s or 70s science fiction 
You might have noticed, by the way, that Carl Jung has mentioned in both of uh, the previous books we've covered on the podcast, which I didn't mention in the episode. But anyway, they have this idea that problems in our society are a result of our pathologies and neuroses and the reason that people at the top in particular wage war and do other all, all sorts of other psychopathic things is that they're mentally ill. There's this idea that if we analysed ourselves if we were all subject to psychoanalysis then we wouldn't be driven by our pathologies and we would have um, a better society i wish i could remember exactly where i've read these things it might be more from this kind of hippie new agey man i don't know how to describe it if you're familiar with robert anton wilson it might be from that kind of um, tradition more than science fiction but I, I feel like i've seen it in in a lot of science fiction but anyway there may be like something in that idea but also you can take a more skeptical approach which is what this book does when jack is thinking about categorizations and he says that the term autistic has replaced the term psychotic which itself replaced the term moral imbecile which replaced the term criminally insane and so on and so on and he says that this is a self-serving concept for the mars authorities this idea of you can label people who don't fit or don't behave as you want in such a way that you're empowered to remove them or, or discipline them in some way. So this idea that psych- psychiatry can be a means to exercise power is something that this would have been talked about. There was an anti-psychiatry movement in the 60s, people like R.D. Lang and David Cooper. I don't know if Philip K. Dick was aware of those, but he um, was pretty well read by all accounts, so it's certainly possible that he did. And there is a history in psychiatry which you can find of psychiatry and, again, labelling of people being used in this way as an exercise of power. For example, you think of the way it's been used to reinforce gender roles. You look at how electroshock therapy is being used on women in particular because, I don't know, they had some kind of sexual drive or they didn't want to didn't want to do a particular thing they they wanted to do things that would be considered quite reasonable and normal by today's standards but at that time they were able to be diagnosed as hysterical or whatever else that's a I feel like that's the the common one that seems to be have been used uh, particularly when it comes to to women as a, a categorization and then they could be institutionalized um, have electroshock therapy on them whatever to try and make them conform so yeah we, this obviously goes back to school and people who don't behave as, as they should and so on. Psychiatry functions in quite a weird way in this novel, actually. Quite an amusing way in, in some regards, I suppose, where psychiatrists don't actually cure their patients. They stand in for them instead and take on their social obligations. So the way that the book describes schizophrenia, which, I, again, may be completely wrong, so, so I don't know. But um, it's described as basically being about an inability to deal with society and social norms and its obligations the pressures it puts on you and there's a again as, as i say, there's an epidemic of schizophrenia in this book particularly on earth um so what this psychiatrist does in the book milton glau but there's a scene where there's a guy who comes to him he's getting a party thrown for him because they his family want him to take on his nephew as an apprentice and they're kind of throwing this party as a thank you which he doesn't actually want to do it so Milton Glaub agrees to go for him and basically tell them that he doesn't want to do it. He will stand in for him. And he said, so he says, I'll take your social pressure for you. Or he thinks rather, I'll take your social pressure for you and you can continue in your chronic maladaptive state, at least for another few months until the next overpowering social demand is made on your limited capabilities. 
Anyway, going back to Jack's outbreak of schizophrenia and the way that the book is using the school to explore the idea of society's pressure and how it creates individuals, there's a question, I think, as to in the book as to whether Jack is psychotic or in some way society's pressure for him to adjust is the thing that's actually psychotic. So taking that a bit further or clarifying that, I suppose, if you look at the actions of the powerful people in this book, like Jack's dad is a, a property speculator. Jack kind of finds this morally disgusting, like the way he he exploits his knowledge to to make money in a way that will ultimately harm lots of people. Um, Arnie Cott, he is paranoid. He has a tendency to see things that go against him um, quite accidentally often as a personal attack and he has these kind of obsessive quests for vengeance like he will get people that that go against him he's kind of a tyrant in that respect so there's a quote i've got here from a book called philip k dick the exhilaration terror of the postmodern written by a guy called christopher palmer where he sums up what's happening here quite nicely i think he says the book suggests that the socially powerful are more dangerous since prevailing ideology both encourages their destructive power and blinds them to their own condition than those who are labeled insane and rendered powerless so i think that's quite a nice quote and nicely encapsulates what i've been trying to say the structure of the world that jack lives in and the one that he's escaped through uh escaped from earth the ideology of of capitalism the institutions there encourage a destructive behavior which which is rendered normal through these institutions and, and social structures this kind of, of dangerous behavior and it's able to label people who are much, who are in reality much less of a threat as being, being the dangerous ones that need to be disciplined or removed in some way. Another thing that's going on with the way the book deals with mental health problems is this idea that those problems can be can give you access to other realities, other modes of, of perception. So Manfred can it's open, uh, left open of the book in some extent whether Manfred can see the future or he has some kind of power to shape the future with his his vision. There's a suggestion that Jack perhaps has some kind of precognitive ability too through his mental illness. And going back to the anti-psychiatry movement I was talking about, one of the criticisms that it faced was that it glorified mental illness. And there were different strands within that movement, but there were people who wanted to abolish psychiatry entirely and who would say that if you had some kind of mental health problem that you just had to not conform to psychiatry and take yourself out of that if you were going to cure yourself and you didn't really have a, a problem and psychiatry was convincing you had a problem that kind of thing so it's just obviously very dangerous for people who are suffering from you know depression or, or whatever any other mental health issues and do need help what i would say is that with this book though I think Philip K. Dick is critiquing psychiatry as how it can be used as a means of exercising power. And he does present mental illness as perhaps giving access to enhanced perception in some way. It definitely does not glorify it. So Manfred's visions are are hell. They're dominated by this vision of him in the future being kept alive in a in a nursing home full of mechanical enhancements that are just there to keep him existing. His visions are incredibly unpleasant. They're full of imagery of rotting flesh and decaying things and maggots and other such bodily horror. 
he has this degenerative vision of the universe where everything is gubbish is the phrase that that he repeats in the book where everything's decaying this vision infects jack's perception and it infects the texture of the novel so there's a bit for example where the events go kind of out of sequence and they start to repeat themselves it's not clear what is reality and what is what is a vision so there's an idea that we are experienced this literal horror of the visions but also the existential terror of the boundaries between reality and hallucination or fantasy whatever you want to call it blurring and then not knowing where we are and that's also jack's visions as well clearly they are hell for him mental illnesses are, his mental illness is the thing that terrifies him the most it's crippling it's all-encompassing so yeah certainly this book does not glorify mental illness so i think it strikes a quite nice balance there in critiquing psychiatry without going too far in the other direction and glorifying mental illness in some way so just to close i think with a few very quick thoughts about the book's utopian dimensions some of which we've already covered i would say but um it's worth saying manfred does find an escape he finds a way to avert his vision so he he escapes the prophecy which i think is a utopian gesture always this idea that even when you're on a path that is likely in some way, then that can still be diverted. And in this case, like the hell that Manfred sees, I think is in some way, it's a hell also for Jack. I won't go into explaining why that is because it's gone on long enough, but this future that he sees, what it brings to Mars is what Jack tried to escape. In some way, I think it's a hell for Philip K. Dick, this um, view of society and again these things we've been talking about with the way its systems function the, the way those systems are on earth the way they're coming to mars so the fact that that vision has escaped is is in in a way a utopian vision about being able to change that and escape that so i think i'll, I'll leave it there there's probably more to say but i've gone on for long enough and hopefully i've touched on some of the more interesting aspects of the book Thank you very much for listening to this. Oh, thank you to Dan. I noticed you on Twitter recommending the podcast to somebody else. That's very much appreciated, so cheers for that. If anyone else would like to recommend this podcast to someone they know who they think might like it, that would be very much appreciated. iTunes reviews would be good as well, as I always say, but that doesn't work. Nobody gives me any. The next episode of the podcast will be on the film The Name I Have Forgotten. I could just edit this out, but I'll just Google it. What's it called? Nemesis, I think. Yes, Nemesis, the 1992 film. The next Philip K. Dick episode, should you want to read the next book ahead of time, will be The Simulacra, a book which I've read but can't remember at all, so that'll be interesting. And I will mention before the end of the podcast, if you want to contribute a little bit of money to the podcast to help me to keep doing it, you can do that at patreon.com slash utopianhorizons. Get in touch with me about the thing I mentioned at the beginning of the episode about possibly starting a Discord or a Slack if you've got an opinion on that or if you, I don't know, it might be even helpful to know if you've got no interest in that and think it's a bad idea. So tweet me at Utopian Horizons, email me utopianhorizonspod at gmail.com and I think I've said everything I need to say. So thank you for listening and I will be back in a couple of weeks probably with another episode.